Welcome into another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. Uh, I am a, I am a voice you haven't heard from in a while, but MLS is back, so I am too. This is Mark Kastner for those who don't recognize me and those that uh, choose not to remember me. <laughs> On this episode, I'm joined by uh, your your lovely steward, Jeremiah O'Shan, Mickey Turner, and Tim Foss. How's it going, guys? Good. I'm just recovering from a long road trip uh, and just starting to get back in the swing of things uh, with MLS uh, apparently starting back up. We'll see if that actually happens, uh, given what's going down in Florida. But uh, uh, for now, they are uh, in training. And so, uh, yeah, happy to be back. Yeah, amidst all of the other things happening in the world, it's nice to have soccer in some capacity to talk about, even if it's just looking forward to it. Yeah, it was like all of a sudden uh, we had three months of nothing and uh, MLS just decided against better judgment probably um, to uh, to start up this tournament again. So, uh, hey, Mickey, you want to kind of give the listeners a, a quick rundown of what the MLS's back tournament actually is? Yeah. <laughs> uh- well, it's a way for them to appease uh, sponsors and uh, television contracts, uh, first and foremost. And that's, I only say that half-jokingly because that's what Don Garber referenced in his presser as soon as this tournament was announced that one of their primary goals was fulfilling uh, corporate sponsors um, and TV uh, rights, as we know, uh, with no games to broadcast. They're probably looking at having to return some amount of money from their TV contracts, which aren't that big to begin with. Uh, you know, they make about $70 million from their uh, TV contracts per year, which, you know, with now 26 teams, you know, breaks out to not that much money per team. Uh, you know, you're talking around, you know, 3 million, you know, a little under $3 million probably. So, uh, that was definitely a concern for them getting back. Uh, you know, the sooner the better. We still don't know what the regular season is going to look like after that. We could probably talk about that later. But the tournament itself, um, I'm, I'm equal parts intrigued and concerned. Um, the, the format is kind of cool, the World Cup format. Uh, you know, setting aside the, uh, you know, the way the groups are, are kind of allocated with that strange six-team uh, group where they're not going to play each other. But I, I think the premise of the tournament is – under the circumstances is pretty cool. And you're going to see the Sounders with uh, their group of four with uh, Dallas, uh, San Jose, and uh, Vancouver. Uh, you play each team once. Uh, most points uh, wins the group. And then the second place team will also advance. And um, I believe there are certain third place teams with enough points will advance. Yeah, as well. the, four, the four most third place yeah. teams get advanced to the quarterfinals. Yeah, so you've got that. And then the knockout stages will uh, commence and you'll win a, a champion will be crowned. Uh, there's a million dollar purse and a CONCACAF Champions League spot up for grabs. Uh, so all of that stuff, you know, under the circumstances, it's cool. It's just that there's this uh, thing, you know, clouding this whole event in the form of the coronavirus um, and the increasing numbers of positive tests, especially in Florida. Uh, so, you know, you're still with this feeling of, is this thing actually going to happen? Um, but, you know, the tournament itself uh, seems fairly interesting. Um, you know, again, that's about all that they could hope to do at this point with the states at various points of uh, progression or regression uh, with uh, coronavirus. So uh, that's kind of where we are right now. 
Although the U.S. – it sounds like the USL is actually going to try to play games in home stadiums. I don't know how – you know, I think if – my suspicion is that it's not so much that the league is worried about getting the season started in the home stadiums as much as it is very unclear that they'd be able to finish. And this way they can at least have something they can call champion at the end of it. Yeah. Uh, it, it's hard – it's – it's obviously hard to talk about this uh, without referencing what what's kept us inside for the last hundred or so days uh, as, as Mickey was going through his explanation and, and kind of mentioned a few times. I think we're all kind of in agreement in terms of whether or not this is like a great idea. But um, what I'm kind of interested in is to some extent, all of us have been around the league and um, kind of around the world of soccer and seeing how over these last couple of months, different leagues have, have handled things. You know, you, um, you have the Bundesliga, which restarted first, and then um, Spain is back up. England started up back, back this, this weekend. Um, like with, with the MLS season being so young before the lockdown, how do we um, kind of, how does the group feel about, this tournament and then kind of whether or not it's it means anything with kind of the issues the country is facing (laughs) i mean i i definitely have mixed feelings about this tournament mainly because i'm not convinced that doing this tournament is is inherently safer than playing in home stadiums and, but I, but I get it. And I think it's going to be an interesting tournament. And I think teams are going to take it pretty seriously in part because I think everyone realizes there's a possibility. This is the only champion that gets crowned this year. So I think it's going to be compelling soccer to watch. Um, you know, I, I know early on, I was, I was somewhat worried about the testing, like the, the optics of testing, you know, all these players, you know, repeatedly, and it's going to take something like 50,000 to 70,000 tests in order to pull this tournament off. That's a lot of tests. Um, But best I can tell, that's not really where the shortages are anymore. And there's no reason that these, you know, having all these tests is going to take away from the tests that are available to anyone else in the country. I know in Seattle, you can basically get on-demand testing. Um, I actually just went and got tested today just to kind of do it. Uh, not because I'm sick or anything like that, just, which I think. <laughs> Can you please put on your mask? Right. Just, just uh, in which, case you have it. So I, I don't think like that part of it doesn't concern me as much anymore. And, and I think it's fine to have a distraction. Um, but I don't know. I, I guess I'm, I, I'll be interested in it when it happens. I'll say, put it that way. I don't know if I'm excited about it in anticipation. Yeah, I don't know that it, like, is going to matter in terms of, like, is the team that wins it the champion for MLS for 2020? Um, Especially, you know, it doesn't really look like things are getting much better at this point. And by the time they finish this, if they were going to play more games after the fact kind of seems like we're going to get, you know, a second sort of, if not a wave, more spikes in cases in the fall. Um, But I think 
similarly to, you know, they're basically playing this tournament to meet some contractual obligations. Like this tournament matters because it's happening and it's going to be soccer, both for fans to watch and players to participate in. Um, and I think that's, you know, that is significant and it matters for all sorts of reasons because people need to work, people deserve entertainment as much as that's a thing. Um, but I don't, I don't know that it's, you know, gonna have like real significance in the history of MLS after this year is over. I think, again, you talked about what we're going to see afterwards, and I think that's really where this 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 whole thing falls apart um, as an exercise, is that if this is all you're relying on and you're not expecting to get back in the, uh, uh, you know, into a regular season, then, okay, great, you played. Some teams will play six games, some teams will play three, and then they'll be gone. Um, and then you're crowning a quote-unquote champion who does get some benefit out of it, but without any fans there to celebrate, uh, what what exactly are we doing here? And I understand MLS's uh, perspective about getting on the field, talked about the financial con um, financial issues and uh, sponsorship obligations. And so, you know, I will look forward to watching this, assuming it happens, assuming something uh, disastrous doesn't happen in the next, you know, uh, three weeks or so in Florida. Um, and I'm kind of more interested in the aftermath, frankly, uh, because I want to see what is going to happen on August, uh, you know, 9th, 10th, 11th after this thing is done. Um, and if MLS has an actual plan, uh, you know, the other leagues that Mark referenced that are, are already back or are coming back seem to have done it without any major complications. Um, there've been a, a handful of positive tests, if that so far, of course, they're just getting into this. Um, and so that raises the question, Jeremiah, I think you raised about whether they should have just uh, gone through their, you know, preseason in their home markets and just come back in July uh, and just started playing in home stadiums to the extent that's possible. Maybe they would have had to wait till August until some more things open up um, and just played um, in empty stadiums uh, and, you know, with the, uh, with the overlay of sound and the cardboard cutouts and all that stuff. And maybe that would have been better, but you know, this does allow them to hedge their bets against, you know, a second wave where things get shut down again. At least they've gotten something in the books. Yeah. I imagine if MLS was yeah. in a, a similar situation where, you know, like the premier league or Germany had nine to nine or 11 games left in their schedule we would absolutely see something different, but given yeah. how young the season was and as you referenced the unknowns of what happens after this. Um, yeah. I, I, I guess it makes sense to do get something in the books. I'm really intrigued with, uh, I know Tim referenced that like maybe nobody cares about this after this year, but I, I'm kind of intrigued about this moment in history for the league in five or six years and which is why I really want the Sounders to win this thing <laughs> uh, just because it's so weird and and strange uh, I guess I guess we've talked enough about kind of the the bird's eye view of this tournament going into it and the reservations surrounding it and just kind of the complexities that this tournament is um, 
we're a soccer podcast, so we'd be remiss if we didn't kind of talk about the Sounders and, and their matchups that they face. Um, there was a lot of hand wringing during the, <laughs> during the draw and questioning of MLS's integrity. Um, if we want to, if we want to continue that we can, but uh, the groups are the groups and the Sounders have FC Dallas, Vancouver Whitecaps and San Jose earthquakes. Um, how's everybody feel about the Sounders chances of getting out of that group? I mean, I, I think it's a manageable group. Uh, it's an interesting group. Uh, Dallas, I would imagine is kind of the trendy pick out of that group. The Sounders, I think, are probably the, you know, they got to be the chalk, right? That would be... Uh, They're one of the three favorites to win the tournament in terms of the betting lines. So. Right, right. So I, I would think that you got to like the Sounders' chances. But that that's not to say that there's any... I don't think there's any necessary... You know, I don't know. The earthquakes, I think we don't really know what they are yet. You know, they, they had a very... Uh, rough start to their to their season. They opened at home, two games at home, and they went 0-1 and 1, including a 5-2 loss to the to Minnesota United. Woof. Uh, and they are also, I think, the last team to resume full training. So they've got, yeah, they've got some headwinds. Uh, <laughs> and they the, had the most, I, if I remember correctly, they had the most turnover in the off season. I don't. I don't think they had a. T- I thought. I don't know how much turnover they had in the offseason. I don't think they brought anybody in of real consequence. I think it's their, oh. their main issue. Um, yeah. What do I, I know? <laughs> I know Chris I Wondolowski is back. So yeah. you know. Yeah, I think it's actually that they just didn't uh, do much of anything. Um, right. That's coming, right. Um, yeah. Coming into this year after last year, you know, they fell uh, fell off at the end. Um, and relied, you know, on some unorthodox, unorthodox uh, playing uh, uh, tactics to kind of frustrate and confuse teams, and, and it worked for half the season. The Sounders got caught up in that uh, when they had to come back from a two nothing uh, deficit to to scratch out a draw uh, early in the year, and and you know, again, the San Jose Earthquake Quakes are kind of what they are. They don't spend a lot of money. Um, they did bring in a high profile coach, and they say they're going to do uh, increase some investment, but they didn't do that this year. Um, so I think, uh, you know, if you can, you know, deal with, you know, kind of their unorthodox playing style, then, you know, the Sounders should be fine. They did go down there and win last year, um, in San Jose. Um, and so I don't really see a whole lot from them, um, you know, unless they're able to surprise some teams. But again, as Jeremiah said, the headwinds, uh, against them are that they're the last team to start training. Um, and so they're going to be the farthest behind, you have to think. And so, may, you know, maybe they can compensate otherwise, other ways, but uh, it's going to be tough for them, I, I, I think. Yes. I think their system also – their system of play also makes them particularly dependent on their players' fitness. Yeah. And yeah. so being the last team able to, able to get into full team training is going to be particularly detrimental. Uh, on the fl- – on the flip side, I think Vancouver may have been the first team to get back into full team training, but they're also maybe the. I thought Atlanta was. Oh, maybe Atlanta was. But yeah, they, were... they had a whole press release tour thing. Yeah, Van- Vancouver was one of the first teams. I mean, they've had a pretty low uh, incident rate in in Vancouver. I would imagine that to me, if I'm the Whitecaps, I'm like, why are we leaving Vancouver exactly? It's like <laughs> safer. Yeah, they they have a competent local government and. Uh, national government and yeah ample testing and 
Funny how that works. Free healthcare, so weird how how that stuff works. But they're, they, they they're really, go ahead. I was just going to say they're a really intriguing team. Um, they were very bad last season. Uh, I don't expect them to be necessary. Like if we're talking about a normal season, I wouldn't necessarily anticipate them qual- qualifying for the playoffs. But in a tournament like this, I think they're really intriguing. Yeah, I think their main problem is is really off the field, uh, as it has been for the last several years with coaching turnover, front office turnover. Um, you know, they have some interesting pieces. Uh, you know, uh, at Cavallini looks like he's going to you know be able to he's going to be a handful for most teams. Uh, you know, they sell uh, Montero there, uh, but you know, again, they're just they're off the field stuff. You just have to wonder how much how much they have in have in in for this tournament as far as interest and effort goes. Do you want to explain some of that stuff? Yeah, well, they got rid of their, uh, I, I mean, I, Jeremiah, you may know the name of the, uh, of the executive that the, they got rid of, but they got rid of one of their high profile front office guys in fairly ignominious fashion. Uh, apparently he was visiting his, or his, his father had passed away and he was dealing with that uh, when he got the notice that he had been fired. So not good. Uh, from that perspective, but you know, there's just kind of a, uh, a long line of, of turnover that they've had. They've also had the issues with you know, with the abuse allegations, which you know I, I'm not going to say that they you know uh, hid, but certainly didn't do a lot to kind of flesh out and investigate, um, and that caused a lot of uh, fan backlash. And and they were still dealing with kind of the aftermath of that. Um, so they've just never been able to. Uh, really assert themselves as one would think given uh, their pedigree as well as, you know, they have a good support base in Vancouver as well. Um, and they have a boatload of money that they uh, received in the sale of Alfonso Davies uh, over to Bayern Munich, who uh, again, we, you know, that's aside the point mostly, but just to see him doing what he's doing in, uh, in, in the Bundesliga is pretty crazy. But that aside, they've just had a lot of trouble just, you know, dealing with, with all of their off the field issues. Yeah. The guy, for what it's worth, the guy that they got rid of is a guy named Mark Panis, I guess is how you say his name. And he had just been hired five months earlier. I don't know a lot about the, uh, ins and outs of that deal, but it's a, a, a head scratcher to hire, to hire a CEO, uh, presumably to kind of remake your team and then to fire him five months into the job is just a kind of speaks to some uh, mismanagement of the club, I'd say. But, and, but they have a good, you know, uh, a coach with a good pedig- pedigree in Dos Santos. I won't say Absolutely. a good coach. Yeah. He hasn't uh, done much in MLS as of yet. Um, and, you know, again, they do have some good pieces. So, uh, you know, a trend, a trendy pick for a tournament like this, I could see it, especially given that they're ahead of uh, most teams as far as training goes. Um, so, and you'll, you know, you can, in this type of tournament, you can have one great player have a great tournament and, you know, carry you pretty far. Yeah. You know, one of the things I'm intrigued by is the possibility that like how teams are weighing the relative value of playing more versus less games. Like on some level, I don't think anyone wants to go out early because playing only three games and then having to just go home and stew for an indefinite period of time is bad but on the other hand i could see how the teams that have to play all seven games in this tournament might actually consider themselves a little bit of a disadvantage if they just kind of roll right into a regular season at the end of it 
yeah, I get like with that without the knowing what's going to happen. Like the, I can see a scenario where, yeah, MLS midway through this tournament announces that there's going to be games starting mid-August, and you have teams that have been off been off since late July, so they get two or three weeks off, and then you have a team who plays in a final on August 11th. Now they have to fly all the way across country and get ready for a game in a week. What? Yeah. So potentially, yeah. It's it's a little bizarre that MLS has been so hush hush about about what happens next. Uh, I think it's because they don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was trying to think through phrasing that sentence as I was saying it. And maybe I came down a little harsh on the decision makers there, but. Um, yeah, I, I, I yeah. think that's. I think that's just the bottom line: is they they don't have an answer to that, and I'm not faulting them for that. If you know, there's a major spike and everything gets shut down again, then you know that there's not really anything they can do about that. But um, yeah, like if okay. if if the tournament does get shut down halfway through because of a giant spike, like that's kind of out of their hands, I think. Um, yeah, because yeah, yeah, sure they can they could have <laughs> not done it in the first place, but that leaves them in the yeah. same position. Uh, yeah. If do, we have, do we have any thoughts on think, FC Dallas before we discuss more Sounders specific things? I'm not as high on them as as some others. Some maybe you guys uh, can uh, convince me otherwise. I mean, they've got a lot of young talent, um, and it's kind of the same every year for them. Um, they'll, I think, they'll be competitive in this tournament, and, and they always give the Sounders a, a, a run for their money, um, whether it's in the playoffs or regular season, uh, and. So yeah, uh, they'll be competitive, but I wouldn't pick them to be a favorite uh, in this tournament. Yeah, I would add that they are, I think, hard to, it's hard to know what to make of this team, um, in part because they're young, in part because they actually are getting a pretty big addition right before this. Uh, I think his name Francisco Jara uh, is a is kind of a Raul Ruiz Diaz-esque striker from Mexico. Uh, he, he's been scoring, you know, in the teens the last four or five years. He's been among the best scorers in Mexico for the last five, six seasons. And uh, he's, he's joining – he just – he had been signed in the offseason as a uh, – as a, like as to a pre-contract. He was supposed to join the team in the summer transfer window. They just got approval to, to add him to the roster. So he's going to be joining this team – that's he's already pretty, training with them, yeah. Right, he's already training with them. So that's a pretty big addition to just kind of plop onto this team. Uh, they also sound Fafa Pico, and they had uh, signed this Brazilian midfielder as well. Uh, it's hard to know. So it's a, it is a little bit of a different team than the one that the Sounders played in the playoffs last year. They have a little bit more veteran savvy. They haven't necessarily had a t- chance to gel. Uh, but I would say that uh, this Jara guy – between him and Ladero might be potentially the two biggest additions to any team in the league uh, from the, from the first two games of the season, how that plays out, who knows? But I mean, I don't know. I, I will, I'm not going to sit here and call them a favorite, but I, I think that they have some potential to make life very difficult. They're starting goalkeepers facing think, some uh, legal issues as well. Th- yes. I, for, I kind of, that slipped my mind. Uh, they're, if there, if Jesse Gonzalez is out, which I would expect, he's him. he's suspended indefinitely by the week for uh, some domestic violence issues. Yeah, 
that's that's a that is a problem for sure um i think i mean their next goalkeeper is certainly not going to be better than jesse gonzalez who in my opinion is not that great of a goalkeeper um but they're pro like fc dallas is probably not going to be the worst team in this group i think either of vancouver or the earthquakes have a much lower or a lower floor than dallas does i think they're at worst fine um, but probably yeah in contention for the second spot i would think i think that's fair yeah i i agree i kind of just looking at the group i i go oh yeah fc dallas is gonna finish second now of course that could change and uh i think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about all the weird things that have happened when the Sounders play Dallas, like uh, incredible weather delays and scoring two own goals for the fifth time in league history and whatever that playoff game was last season. Um, Penalty shootouts. Yeah. There's just weird things that always happen when the Sounders face off with FC Dallas, even though historically I think that, you know, been the favorites maybe besides 2016 um but yeah just weird stuff happens whenever the Sounders play Dallas uh does that mean we think the Sounders are going to win this group I think the Sounders are going to win the group I, yeah. I yeah I agree I think they're clearly the best team on paper I mean by by a good distance as a matter of fact, especially given the fact that we've uh, seen them now have everyone back in training. Um, everyone, knock on wood, appears to be healthy. Um, you know, not that Will Bruin necessarily is going to start uh, even <laughs> if he's at full fitness, um, but that's just another piece that you have to add to, uh, to the arsenal, uh, especially given the fact that you're going to need a lot of depth uh, presumably because of the lack of fitness, uh, having the players off from any type of real training for the last three months and only having basically three weeks to a month of trying to get back in uh, to full full fitness. And then obviously, Jeremiah, you referenced uh, Nico Ladero uh, being back and uh, apparently in full, uh, full training, full fitness. Uh, and they just have more talent um, at almost every position than any other team um, in this group and the experience uh, as well, and the, and the coaching pedigree. is. Uh, I mean, it's just tough to see them not winning the group unless they don't take it seriously, which, again, is something that is unlikely to be the case. Uh, and so you're just relying on some happenstance uh, or just a bad tournament uh, to, to see them uh, not advance and uh, win the group. So that's why I, I just don't see them not winning it unless some, some confluence of crazy events happens. Yeah, I think – uh, one of the things that kind of left my mind kind of early on in in quarantine because I was focused on more important things like keeping a job and stuff like that <laughs> um, was just how good we thought the Sounders team was going to be in 2019. And that's kind of something I'd like to talk about for a few minutes before we move on uh, away from the tournament um, is kind of remind listeners just like, I think I think most people would have said LAFC is the favorite to win the Supporter Shield, and then since Atlanta had Joseph Martinez get hurt, there was a, there was a lot of buzz surrounding this team 
uh, in preseason and through the first first two games of the season, even though uh, they drew one of them against Columbus. Uh, I don't, in my opinion, I don't think a lot of that has changed. I think with Brian Smetzer as the coach, uh, he's an incredible he's an incredible MLS coach when it comes to the playoffs, and I think kind of just incredible without any qualifiers. But and I could see in a tournament like this, the Sounders kind of being the favorite to win the whole thing. I mean, I think I think there's a I think that's a perfectly valid argument to make that the like I'm I'm always hesitant to call the Sounders favorites just because that's my nature. But I I think there's a valid argument to be made about it. I mean, the Sounders have clearly shown that they are as good as anyone in the league at these kind of tournament setups. Uh, of course, we also saw them bomb out of Champions League in the first round. <laughs> that's true. Um, a, that is a thing that happened a couple of months ago. Right, exactly. So, I, I mean, it's not like they are above uh, falling on their face when, you know, it least suits them. Although, I guess in some weird way, bombing out of the Champions League maybe wasn't such a bad deal because <laughs> I can only imagine it being very frustrating for teams that are still in Champions League to think that, what did we all go through this for? Because <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't see the CONCACAF Champions League resuming this year. I don't know that it's going to resume next year. Who, yeah, who knows what happens with that. Uh, and plus, wouldn't it just be perfect if the MLS back is back tournament was Toronto versus Seattle again? <laughs> yes. Like, I think that would just be so right. It would be uh, perfect. Perfect is the right word. It's the perfect word for it. And especially if the Sounders win, I think that yeah. would be really great. Yeah. Uh, a couple of a couple of things have happened in the world of in the specific world of the Seattle Sounders this week. Uh, I the the biggest news, of course, is kind of the surprise retirement of Harry Ship. Um, they signed a couple of homegrown players, which we'll have Tim talk about in a little bit. But um, I guess yeah, I guess yeah, I'll open it up, kind of. I was certainly surprised with the way that Harry Ship's retirement came about. Yeah. Uh, I know we kind of got wind of it shortly before it happened and, or before it was announced, like short, like hours, not necessarily like a big heads up. And I thought it was, it struck me as wrong. Like I just thought yeah. it was bad Intel. Um, and I was a little surprised to find out uh, that it was re really happening. And <laughs> It, it just struck me as completely out of the blue, uh, completely random. Uh, you know, once you hear Harry Ship's explanation for it, which is, you know, basically my heart wasn't really in it anymore. And I wanted to get a start on my post playing career now rather than later. It's hard to argue with it, but the guy could have played six, seven years more if he wanted to, I think. Yeah, um, you, we would do see this in MLS, um, you know, m probably more often than in, in, in most other uh, men's sports, I should say, where uh, you see it in, in, in WSL, uh, where uh, players are giving up fairly productive careers to head out and, you know, get started on their post-playing career. Um, Brandon Vincent, who was a well-thought or highly thought of uh, player out of Stanford. Uh, up in Even the a national team player. Yeah, national team player. And then there was another player, I think, on Chicago Fire, uh, as well, who did the same thing. Um, Sense and, of the theme. Yeah, yeah. And the uh, <laughs> ship is uh, obviously a fire homegrown. Um, and, you know, ship was a f pretty well paid 
MLS player. Um, and so he's giving up a, a, a good salary um, to go pursue his career. And you know, I guess more to the point, if his heart wasn't in it, um, then, you know, good on him for not trying to go through the motions just to pick up a paycheck. Um, and, you know, he leaves with, you know, as a Jeremiah, I think you wrote in the article, uh, coming off his most productive, uh, you know, uh, period with the Sounders. Um, and so, yeah, there was obviously a place for him on this team uh, coming into this year, especially in light of what's going on. But you can't, you know, again, you can't fault him for wanting to pursue his, his whatever his passion is uh, outside of uh, playing soccer. Um, and then the other point you raised in the article, uh, which he was on his mind, is just we don't know what the season is going to look like from this point going forward. And, you know, sure, this tournament may happen, but that doesn't guarantee a season's going to. Um, and is it really worth putting off uh, getting started on um, his NBA if he's just going to be around here for the next two months and then the season, you know, never gets off the ground again. So, yeah. And if, and if you get into Northwestern's business school, yeah, you, you take that opportunity for sure. <laughs> yeah, he's not pursuing an online degree. Yeah. It's not, it's not ITT tech. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, Oh, you go ahead, Jeremiah. Oh, I was just going to add, he, he was making, he made $235,000 last year. He was probably m- making something like $250,000 this year. So it wasn't like, I, I definitely don't think it was a money thing, um, which Mickey alluded to. And I just wanted to throw that number out there because it wasn't, it, 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 it wasn't like he was on a league minimum salary. I mean, he was making, you know, decent money, decent enough money that I don't think he can assume he's just going to automatically make more right away yeah. uh, after he gets his degree. Yeah, I think, you know, you can take sort of all of the information that's come out from him and from the club together and his stated goal after his soccer playing career is to someday be involved in the management or ownership of an MLS team. Um, He was heavily involved in the negotiations as a player rep for the uh, Players Association trying to negotiate one, the CBA ahead of this season and then negotiating the return to play uh, amidst the pandemic. And then he shared a very thoughtful statement regarding his place within a society that is fueled and perpetuates white supremacy. Um, I think Casey Junau wrote for Sander at Heart sort of a retrospective of Harry Ship's career and made the good point that Harry's ability on the field was so uh, defined by his ability to read the game and sort of see three plays ahead that his decision to retire and pursue his MBA kind of seems like that happening in his regular life as well. Um, Sort of reading the writing on the wall and making a decision to, you know, pursue his and maybe the league and American soccer more broadly's best interest and start working towards that future. Yeah. Or he knows something that we don't about uh, what's going to happen. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, that's a good point to him. And yeah, he's, he's obviously a thoughtful guy, smart guy. I, I've talked to him, uh, you know, it, well in advance uh, when they were starting to talk about the CBA negotiations back in like 20, 2018, 2019. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's uh, good on him to go and pursue what he wants to pursue. If that's uh, as Jim, uh, Tim, you, I think you referenced that he wants to be in the ownership or management of an MLS 
team. Um, and that's obviously uh, a lofty goal. And, uh, you know, good luck to him as he uh, pursues pursues it. Do you guys have any uh, favorite Harry shit moments that aren't the 2019 MLS Cup parade? Yeah. Yeah, he was uh, – he, he, he was pretty – he had had a few drinks, I think, at yeah. the parade. That was a funny parade. We've kind of talked about this, but it was a surreal parade in part because none of the starters were there. There was something like yeah. 10 players missing. Yeah, because there was an international break that had just, right. just yep. happened. So, Yeah, so Harry Ship was like one of the more notable players that was actually at the uh, – that was there. But, yeah, he, he was just – you know, I liked him from a – you know, he was the best player, I think, the Sounders had that you could go to to get a quote when things weren't going well. And those are always tough players to identify because most players don't want to open up when things are going bad. And he was someone that was willing to kind of take a measured, thoughtful approach to answering questions when things weren't going well. And so that was – he was always – kind of a welcome person to have in the locker room. It was always nice when he had played in a game and the Sounders hadn't done well because you knew you could go to him for something uh, thoughtful and, and sometimes helpful, frankly. Uh, but he was, he was always someone that was able to put kind of tactical questions into layman's terms. And I think that's part of why it's easy to see him getting into coaching in the future. I'll share my favorite moment. Uh, it's kind of a weird one, but um, his goal against LAFC at the towards the beginning of the 2019 um, season when uh, Seattle had their first loss when they faced off against LAFC in LA and they just got the floor wiped with them. But um, his goal and kind of his response to scoring, I think, kind of summed him up perfectly. Like it was a it was. It wasn't like the most technical moment you've ever seen, but he got himself into the right position and he scored a, um, it's kind of a, like a right footed curler at, just at the top of the box um, to make it four one. And then, or no, it was two, it was two to one, right? Right after halftime. And just kind of like, I th thought he kind of energized the team at least for 10 minutes before they got continued to getting smacked. But um Unless there's any other hairy shit moments, we, we have some signings to talk about. Tim, you wanna you wanna fill us in on those? Yeah. So the Sounders signed Josh Atencio and Ethan Doubleair. Um, Atencio is eighteen, Doubleair is seventeen. Um, they notably are the first homegrown players who had participated in the Sounders Discovery Program, which is um, the Sounders Academy only operates full-time academy teams at the U15, U17, and U19 age levels. Uh, so below that, they run the Sounders Discovery Program, which is sort of like a, a way to scout a larger group of players by bringing together sort of the top talents from local teams to train a few times a year uh, and participate in tournaments. But both Double Air and Atencio participated in that program uh, and have both, I think both are in their fifth or sixth year or season in the Sounders program 
or organization in some capacity. Uh, Atentio has, I think, almost 2,500 minutes at the USL level. Uh, at 18 years old, that's pretty impressive. He was almost uh, all, like, all the time starter in 2019 for Tacoma. I think he had something like 25 appearances. He is primarily a defensive midfielder who can also play a bit of center back, but is, you know, a highly skillful, really high quality passer from those deeper positions who really has a knack for opening the game up with a line breaking pass. Uh, But he's also more than capable of getting physically involved in a challenge or holding a player off. Um, He had a few good moments in Tacoma's first game of this season before their season got called off. Um, He's a pretty big body, uh, but will definitely, I think, probably be sort of that third option in that spot behind Gustav Svensson and Jordi Delem this season, which will be nice for the MLS is back tournament as they're probably going to have to do a fair amount of rotation. Uh, Ethan Doubler is, he was a fairly small, you know, mostly wing player. Um, It seems like, you know, 17 year olds go through growth spurts. It seems like he's sprouted up a bit Um, where he plays or has played in his time with the Academy and Defiance and uh, in his time with the youth national team, he hadn't really made any appearances with the youth national teams until last summer and then forced his way into the U-17 World Cup squad. Um, He can play pretty much anywhere in sort of the Sounders attacking third, like attacking band of three midfielders um with defiance and the youth national team he's played more on the wing but he also is more than capable of playing inside even from the wing he does like to cut inside he's definitely goal dangerous um he's a really good dribbler even if he's not super fast um he also is a very technical player who has a great vision and can definitely find an incisive pass or score on his own oh, it was like harry shippa kind of yeah i was gonna i was gonna say offline you were telling me he's like he's like harry ship jr <laughs> yeah i i think harry ship part two or 2.0 is a good a pretty good comparison maybe a little bit more attack minded um harry ship very capable of you know playing a progressive pass and as we've said scoring a nice goal um i think Doblair is maybe going to play a little bit farther up the field and look a little more to create goals, whether directly or by creating a, an opportunity for someone else. But I do think Harry Ship is a pretty good comp for Doblair. So correct me if I'm wrong, but Atencio, I think, is the first Sounders homegrown signing that went through every level of the Sounders Academy, right? Like he was someone, like he's like a quote unquote real homegrown player in that he was, you know, he's born, I think he's, he's from Bellevue 
and he just kind of came up through the the Sounders Academy. And I guess Dobler is similar, except for he started out at Seattle United. I don't know when he made the move to the Sounders Academy. Um, he, I believe, started playing full time with the Sounders Academy in 2016. Um, but he did go. The both of them went through the full. Okay. academy ladder or development ladder. Um, the only real difference is that uh, Atencio signed with Tacoma Defiance and made 20-some appearances. Uh, Dobler never signed with Defiance other than the sort of amateur contracts right. and made seven appearances. Um, but they both, yeah, went through that full development ladder. Which I have to imagine the Sounders think is, uh, I mean, I don't know if they particularly put inherent value in that, but it's an interesting side note that, the, that like they keep, it's interesting how every Sounders signing, homegrown signing, seems to take a slightly different path. Like the last couple were, uh, were Danny Leva and Alfonso Acampo Chavez, who came in from outside of the, the program. Uh, Trey Muse was, a, was one of the early uh, homestay players and uh, and it's just an interesting it's interesting to see how they've done this um, and it's and it's a good reminder that there is talent from this area that they are bringing up as well um, in fact I think those are the first those are the first uh, homegrown signings that were from here since maybe Wingo is that could that possibly be right My is it Wingo or Schweitzer that was well, Schweitzer was before Wingo, I think. Okay. But uh, yeah, Wingo would. I think Wingo would be the most recent from Seattle, homegrown signing. It has been interesting to see, you know, the 2019 homegrown signings all were homestay players, uh, Muse, Leva, and Ocampo Chavez. This year, the two, at this point, are, you know, both participated in S the SDP uh, both went through the full development pipeline. Who knows what the next iteration of that looks like. Right. Do you have a sense of, like, are either one of these players, my suspicion is that neither one of these players are particularly close to con contributing at the MLS level. Although with a, a tournament like this, who knows, how deep they're going to, and they only have 25 players on the roster. So I wouldn't be totally shocked to see them get some time, but do you have a sense of, of how close either of these two players are to being, uh, being MLS quality contributors and who maybe they're, yeah, I know you compared double air to Harry ship, but is that like his upside is Harry ship or what would you consider the like ceiling of these players? Um, you know, I think Atencio is actually pretty close to being MLS quality already. Um, he definitely, like, it's tough with Tacoma Defiance players. They, like, just the way that that team plays, it can be really hot and cold. Um, but at no point have I ever seen Atencio on a USL or in a USL game and thought that he looked overmatched or out of place. Um, I think he definitely has a skill set and, you know, the 
frame and ability to manage the physicality to maybe not be like a consistent rotation player, but to contribute when he gets his minutes. Um, I, like, I do think Gustav Svensson is not a bad comparison hmm. for him. Um, double air. Has a little bit of, you know, in the same way that Christian rolled on, like every level that you put him in, it seems like you could throw him into any game and he'll figure it out and sort of step his game up to that level. Uh, I think double air has a little bit of that ability. Um, and as an offensive minded player, the ability to, you know, maybe just show up really significantly once or twice a game, but those turn into, you know, two chances and one goal for somebody uh, is, is definitely there. I think his path to minutes might be a little bit shorter just because I think prior to Harry ship retiring is sort of, you know, Christian rolled on Miguel Ibarra, Harry ship all play in the same position. Uh, yeah. Buana. Um, I think his path is a little bit clearer than Atencio, who has two more than capable starters in his main position ahead of him. Um, I think you're also more likely to sub in an attacking player than a different defensive mid during the course of a game. Um, But I think they both, you know, there's a reason they got signed to first team contracts. I think they, certainly could contribute when they get minutes. That's fantastic. Tim watches Defiance games, so I don't have to. (laughs) That's the relationship we have. Uh, Not the only relationship we have, but he is is a source of knowledge when it comes to Defiance stuff. Uh, Although I I wanted to, since we're on this subject, I figure I, I should... I should ask the expert here. I think I was un, in, under the impression that the two closest players to signing from Defiance were probably Shannon Hopio and Sam Rogers. Uh, they're both considerably older than either of these two players. Not considerably. I mean, they're both three years, I think, older. And at than, that age, three years is a big deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're older players. They're like closer to college age type players. And they've now been on Defiance for a few years. Uh, they are getting to the point where it seems to be it's a uh, shit or get off the pot kind of situation with the organization. Like either the Sounders are going to sign them or they need to let them try their luck elsewhere. Schmetzer Uh, said as much about Rodgers in the preseason. Right, exactly. (laughs) Um, How much of a red flag do you think it is that they weren't the two players that the Sounders signed? Do you, I don't know if you have any sense of if that's still a possibility, but um, I'll even throw out this, like who are the other players in the pipeline that you think might be, uh, maybe not this year, but players that people should be watching on the, on the uh, defiance. Um, so as far as Hopia and Rogers go, I think some of it may be that, you know, USL is planning on a return to play actually around the same time as the MLS's back tournament kicks off. Um, yeah. 
they have a tentative agreement to return to play on July 11th. Um, and Hopiao and Rogers are pretty significant parts of the sort of leadership group within the Defiance team. Uh, and I think it would have been really tough on that team, especially with them still expecting to play games, to be without those two leaders within the team for a month at least. Um, I also, you know, Dobelair was pretty surprising to me that he got the nod over Hopiao. Um, Hopiao has something like 4,500 USL minutes. He seems like basically the ideal of Garth Lagerway's stated uh, wanting to get players like 100 USL appearances by the time they're 21. Um, these sort of benchmarks and goals for what players playing at Tacoma Defiance looks like. Uh, Hopia really looked like that was the model is to have them do what he's done. He's been fairly productive uh, in terms of goals scored, has really like, seems like he's done everything that the team has asked. Uh, I, I think he still certainly seems to have a future with the organization, whether that's signing this coming off season or what, uh, I'm not totally sure. Rogers, you know, there definitely were the comments from coach at the, during preseason of, you know, he has this opportunity, he needs to take the most of it. I think some of it might be that he really, since the first year that he played with us too, um, he hasn't really had a full season where he was healthy or present for the full season. Um, some of that is, you know, unfortunate injuries or illnesses. He's also had some stuff in his personal life that like it's tough for any person to go through, including a loss in his family that, you know, I experienced a loss in my family and that was like devastating for months. I can't imagine having to then go and play professional soccer. Uh, so I think part of coach's statements at the beginning of the season were really about wanting to see, you know, a fully healthy season where he played consistently and not just got on the field consistently, but his performances were consistent week in, week out. Um, because even last year where he didn't have a ton of injuries, but he wasn't always there. Um, even when he was on the field, he was pretty up and down, which to a certain extent is the nature of the Tacoma Defiance, but he seems to be a guy who his confidence really impacts the way that he plays. Um, so I think it would have been tough to, you know, seemingly say that you want to see him play and be consistent before he gets a chance with the first team and not see him play for four months. Um, it seems like one way or the other, a decision is going to have to come at the end of this season. Um, I, yeah, I don't think that's necessarily the case with Hopia, but it really seems like that's going to be the way that it goes with Rogers, either at the end of this season, he'll sign with the first team or he'll pursue other opportunities. Um, as far as other players to watch with Defiance this year, I think Hopiao is certainly a good one. Um, either of the 
Aussies that are on the team, Jesse Daly and Anthony Berkey. Um, both, you know, they wouldn't be homegrown players, but uh, Daly, his path towards first team might be tougher. Just he's a central midfielder with more of an attacking mindset. Um, it seems more likely that Chris Hagart would take that spot. Uh, and he's one that sort of tough to predict. He's supposed to go to college this year, I believe at Duke. Um, or no, sorry, Georgetown. It's a different player that is going to Duke. Uh, but we're not really sure what's going to happen with NCAA soccer. So who knows? Um, Anthony Berkey is a former central midfielder turned right back who, you know, is a pretty good quality USL level right back. And we'll see what he turns into. Um, I think Azriel Gonzalez and Ray Serrano are both still really potentially promising players. They're both still fairly young. Um, Azriel Gonzalez has shown a legitimate ability to take over games at the USL level. He hasn't really done that consistently um, and lost a third of last season to an injury, but returned to play pretty well. Ray Serrano hasn't been a super consistent USL player. He spent most of last season, I believe, with the academy rather than USL, but he's a super technical attacking player at the academy level. He was a forward at the USL level. He's probably a winger, um, but I think those are sort of the first names that I would keep an eye on. That's great. Um, well, I think that that covers everything that's happened this week, at least. Um, unless anybody else wants to say anything. Uh, oh, suddenly we had some active, we had some yeah. real things to talk about this week. I, and I, I did not anticipate the, the homegrown conversation to go that long, but it's very informative. Thank you, Tim. Um, well, I've been Mark. The voices you've heard have been Mickey Turner, Jeremiah O'Shan, and Tim Foss. MLS is back, which means your sounders are back, at least for now. Uh, <laughs> obviously... Ominous. Obviously, we'll keep you posted as things go. And uh, thanks for listening to the Sounder at Heart podcast.